Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello, my name is Gary Mansfield, and this is the Ministry of Arts podcast, where each week... I'll be speaking to a different artist. Now let's begin by bagging these bongos. Yeah, right. Crazy. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 168 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. I hope everyone's keeping well as we enter the spring months. Well, firstly, as ever, thank you to our Patreon supporters, without whom, without whom we would not be able to produce this podcast. And if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, you can do for as little as a price of a cup of coffee. Just head over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile you'll see a link tree drop-down box which will direct you to our Patreon page and you can support us there. But if you're not able, that's absolutely fine. This content is free for everyone. Well, today's episode is an artist that I've wanted to talk to for quite some time, but mutual times and dates just haven't quite worked out. But recently, the stars aligned and that conversation finally happened. So today, I'll be taking you to meet Dean Kelland. Dr. Dean Kelland, no less. He's a photographer, filmmaker, performance artist. He's the MA Fine Art course leader at the uh, University of Wolverhampton. And on top of all that, he is the artist in residence at HMP Grendon. Now, you might think that being an artist in residence in a prison is um, quite intriguing. But being an artist in residence at HMP Grendon is so much more than intriguing. The work going on within its walls is groundbreaking because it's Europe's only therapy-led prison. This prison doesn't just sit its inmates round in a circle for like an hour a week. It's 24-7. Their whole time in Grendon is pretty much spent breaking down their personality and identity, trying to adjust or fix those parts that may have attributed to them going to prison in the first place. And as you can imagine, it does house some of the most challenging individuals that are in the prison system. And although life inside those walls is quite intense, 
the rehabilitation and reoffending figures speak for themselves. So I'm sure you can understand the responsibility that comes along with being an artist in residence at somewhere like HMP Grendon. There's an open prison just outside of its walls called HMP Springhill, which isn't a therapy prison. It's one where inmates doing smaller sentences or those finishing off a larger sentence will go, just to prepare them for release. That's where I went to college for the first time. And if you're new to the podcast, there are several other episodes that feature conversations about prisons and art in prisons. And I don't know the episode numbers, but if you look at our back catalogue, look out for the likes of Johnny Costi, uh, Lee Cutter, Kersler Arts, Liberty Choir, which was quite recently, Camille Walala, which was also quite recently, Safe Ground, photographer Laura Panak, Emily Ramsey, well, I can't really think of any more off the top of my head, so sorry if I've missed anyone out. But, yeah, there's plenty to go back and have a look at if that's uh, an area that you're interested in. And if it's performance art that you're interested in, a few episodes ago we spoke to Pauline Amos, who does um, performance painting, and we can't talk about performance art without mentioning Lois Keaton, who co-founded LADA, the Live Art Development Agency. So, yeah, go back and have a scroll through. But after this episode, well, just before I introduce you to Dean, I want to let you know that the Ministry of Arts will be appearing at Roy's Art Fair from the 7th to the 10th of April. We'll be recording live and producing podcasts while the art fair's on. So come along to Roy's Art Fair, say hello, you might even end up on a podcast yourself. So to find out more about visiting Roy's Art Fair at the Truman Brewery in Brick Lane, London, Go over to their Instagram profile, which is Roy's Art Fair, or their website, roysartfair.com. But back to this week. Thank you to James at Icon Gallery in Birmingham for making this conversation happen. It was, without doubt, one of my favourites. So, please, come and join me as I spoke over Zoom to Dean Kelland. I mean, Grendon, they've relaxed the 23 hours a day. So what first, first of all, they went to 23 hours a day. I was just locked out for 15 months. I just said, you can't do anything. So I was sending materials and I was sending them like assignment briefs and stuff. It's tough, isn't it? If you can't speak to someone and say, well, this is the idea behind the assignment brief. I managed to get like video calls with a couple of the guys when you're only out for an hour a day, you don't want to be talking to the artist. In no, you know, thing. So, you know, um, so I had to get them special permission from the governor to have a bit of extra time just to meet with me. But then when I finally went back, they were on like half and half on the wing. So they'd let half the wing out in the morning and then they'd lock them up and then half the wing in the afternoon. Yeah. Lock them up. And that went on for quite a while. They're now kind of getting back to normal but they still can't mix wings yeah so i can't i used to have groups from all wings now i'm i'm having to go to the wing which is fine it's better than nothing but i'm having to go to the wings and just see small groups yeah and still it's it's weird because we, they're just gradually coming out of it and how many prisoners are there well it, i think the numbers have gone down a bit but i think it's around the 200 250 mark i think wow Covid as well. It's going to be hard because they do the. If if I'm still correct, they do a group therapy. That's but do you know, Gary? That's been the thing that the men have mentioned most. 
was, talk, I was talking to one yesterday and he's just, they just got back to doing some small group therapy, but it's still smaller than they would be used to. Yeah. And for the last two or three weeks I've seen him and he's been going, it just turns into a normal prison. Yeah. And that's not what I came here for. No. I came to get this work done. Yeah. But, but then yesterday I think he'd had quite a rough group therapy. So he was a bit, he, yeah, he was quite affected by it. So he was kind of like, yeah, I've been desperate to get back to it. And then I think it, it kind of, uh, it was a tough one for him yesterday. So they just getting back to that. But that's the thing that they were like, we, you know, we're here to do yeah. this. And it's it's the one thing that makes Grendon different and yeah. we can't do it. Well, you know? we've, we've been recording and just eased into this conversation. So yeah. the people who are listening all have an interest in art. They're, they're well aware of my background and they would have heard us talking about HMP Grindon, which yeah. is a prison. It doesn't have a therapy program, you know, jumping if I'm wrong. It, it is a therapy prison. So yeah. you go there as a, as a prisoner, you sort of a, apply to go there. You may even be sort of pushed to go towards there to yeah. get therapy. It's mainly for violent and sexual offenders. Is that yeah. still the case? So it's, it's a Category B prison. So there's a lot of men who've been in prison a long time. Yeah. And, and you're right, Gary, it's, it's um, a prison that's built on therapeutic communities. So each wing is its own therapeutic community. Yeah. So they have their own committees. Um, they engage in group therapy every day. If they want to work with me, if they want to do some artwork, they have to go to the community and ask for backing to do it. Wow. And, and if, you know, for any reason, the rest of the community might say, well, actually, we don't think you're working hard enough in your therapy or you had a bit of confrontation with someone the other day and you're, you're a bit aggressive about that. So we're going to say no for now and let's see if you can work on that. Yeah. So the community have quite a lot of kind of input, really, in shaping the experience of it. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a prison, so the governor's still in charge. Yeah. But that, that thing of having the community, it, it's making them sort of look and care for the new ones coming in. And, yeah. you know, probably, possibly even without them realising, it's starting to change their outlook on, on their fellow man, isn't it, you know? It, it is. And, and to be honest with you, because I'm, I'm, I'm not a therapist, I'm a, you know, I make artwork. <laughs> So when I kind of went there, I thought to myself, I don't know how much I can engage with this. Yeah. It's not really my business. It, it's going to affect your conversations, your day-to-day -day conversations with, with, with the residents. But uh, I think one of the kind of important things about it is, uh, and now I've been there for a while, it's quite a thing to see someone change in front of yeah. your eyes. It, it, it really is. And, and you know, there's, there's lots of arguments about, you know, what, what, whether it, it, it works 100%, whether it's the right thing to do, all of those kind of things. But to actually see someone become really kind of self-aware of their past behaviours and, and kind of how they'd like to be in the present and how they'd like to build a future, the, the kind of shift you can see in the way they approach their day-to-day yeah. um interactions with people it's, it's quite a thing to to see to be honest yeah. I'm an observer i'm just i'm just a gate crasher you know i'm just yeah. someone who 
who drops in, spends a couple of days with them talking about art and making art, and then I I, I dip out again. So yeah. I I don't I don't do the hard yards. They do. Well, know. any anyone who I mean, looking at art is therapeutic. Making it is ten times more so. Yeah. And and everyone's well aware of the you know the therapeutic qualities of of art, even if if you have no interest in art, once you get that sort of little bug of creativity, no matter what it is, it doesn't have to be art, you know, yeah. uh, any, anything creative, as soon as you get that into your life, it starts taking you off into a different direction. And that's what I found in my own life being far too late. You know, I was sort of like 27, I think 28 when I discovered art yeah. and it was in a short few months, I found something I was good at. And nat not naturally good at, but I was eager to be good at it as well. You know, before that, it, it had just been crime, no matter in what order it was, you know. And then all of a sudden, this family of artists come along and they were saying to me, come into our world. You know, we're crying out for people like you sort of thing, you know. It's something to do as well. What I've kind of observed that Grendon is there's something really important about self-esteem because the therapy is quite brutal. And I'm, I'm using that word because that word's been used to me by some of the residents, you know, where they, they come out of these sessions and they go, it's brutal today, you know. Yeah. And what they get from making artwork and talking about art is, is something that feeds their soul kind of yeah. thing. You yeah. know, I had, we, we over um, lockdown, I was just talking there about how we, sent in some materials and we set a brief and it, it was really tough to to kind of try and communicate you know make some work in relation to this when it, it was all on paper kind of just sending bits of information in but one of the men made these uh, beautiful drawings of butterflies and uh we did an exhibition here and sorry when i say here i'm in the school of art in Wolverhampton. <laughs> We, we'd been open with them and we'd said like, yeah, we're going to show you work alongside some MA students because they've done the project as well. And we're going to do like a proper exhibition. And I don't think it sunk in with him and probably a few of the others. And I bumped into him in the corridor the week of the show. And I said, oh, your work's up on the wall. Looks really nice. And there's been some really positive feedback. And he was, and he, he, you know, he filled up and he was going, my work can be yeah. seen by somebody else. And I was like, yeah, I said we were going to do a show. And he, he was just like, I can't believe it. I can't. Yeah. And, and that sounds like, you know, I, I guess it sounds a bit over the top, but, but it's true. And, it, and it, it's just a kind of how it made him feel yeah. that day was really important, you know. So I, th I think it, that thing about self-esteem... When you're having your kind of identity broken down into little bits in front of people every day, yeah, and you have to rake over what There's that a is. Huge vulnerability there, mate, yeah. isn't there? Yeah, you know, and and so for us to be able to kind of just offer them something that that kind of says, yeah. When when I wanted to make the change, and I was well aware that I had to change. I couldn't just be. The Gary Mansfield, the criminal, just does a left turn and becomes an artist. Yeah. I couldn't take that baggage with me, or at least not in the, the manner that, you know, that it was there at the moment. Yeah. And 
I didn't know how to self-analyze and look at myself and make them little changes. It was the little changes in my personality that I had to change. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was, it was a really hard thing to look at myself in the mirror. And it got to a point when all I was seeing in that mirror was, was a fucking reflection of negativity, you know? And at one point it got, got quite too heavy for me. And, and I was seeing too much negative Gary yeah. rather than positive Gary. Luckily, I, I continued with whatever I was doing. And slowly, you know, you get to see a little bit of light under the door and then yeah. that gets stronger and stronger. And, you know, now I look over my shoulder and I see a, 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 a different person left behind, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because I've been... Um partly because, as I said, D-Wing's been in lockdown, but one of the guys I'm, I'm working with on D-Wing, he does a lot of write, writing for Inside Times. Sorry, which is a, a prison newspaper that yeah. goes to every prison in the country and um, you can get it outside in libraries yeah. and, and whatnot as well. Yeah, sorry. But, yeah, I said to him, because um, D-Wing's been... It's been about four or five weeks because yeah. just as they just as they were getting to the point where people were testing negative, they get a couple more cases, so they had to kind of stay in lockdown. So I used the email a prisoner system, which is something I used a lot over lockdown. And I said uh, he's been making work about masks, and I've been making work about masks. And so I said, uh, let's just have a chat about this. Let's let's and, and I said. You know, you can ask me questions, I'll ask you questions. And it's, it's been a fantastic exchange, but ju just uh, reminded me of what you were saying there, because one of the questions we were kind of posing, it's actually what one of the things one of the other men said to me, and it's this thing about, you know, we're encouraged to strip away these masks. And, and he said, but my worry is what happens when the last one's gone? What have you got left? And, I, and, and that's kind of been a really interesting thing. It's kind of, it's really informed my work and, and some of the things I've been making. And it was just, honestly, this, this, I mean, he's a really good writer anyway, but some of the letters he sent me, he just some of the sentences are like laser beams. Where yeah. and, I, and I even said to him in the last one, I'm going to nick that last bit. <laughs> Brilliant. I'm use that. that <laughs> yeah. Sums up what I'm trying to do perfectly. Yeah. You know. Um, but that kind of question about, like you say, what what are you left with? And 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 that's not just a violent criminal we're talking about. That's that's oh, all of us. All. And and us. and that's one of the things that I always say to the men. I, you know, I want to make work on this residency that speaks to them, and that they they're not standing there thinking, "What what what's he doing?" And and there's some there's kind of some strategies that I use to try and encourage that. But I also want it just to speak to men generally and yeah. speak about that that kind of you know masculine identity more broadly. You know. Yeah. Um, I mean, for, for people that, well, the first, I've got questions that I ask every guest. So the first, even though we're, you know, so many minutes in, how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? So who is Dean Kelland? So uh, I guess I make performance films. I'm interested in the way men are represented um, kind of flawed masculinity is, is my thing. Brilliant. And I, I 
became what I would probably call an accidental performance artist. <laughs> I never uh, dream. I'm really awkward, like you know, family photos. Yeah. I, don't do them. I yeah. really don't do them. I can't. I just don't understand what's happening. And for me to step in front of the camera and make work as a, as a performer was just not on my list of things yeah. to do. Yeah. I can you know. totally relate to that. And, I, and, it, and it happened kind of part by accident, part through desperation, really. I, I, had, a, I had a really strange period, I guess. I did... So I used to I used to make really crap work. <laughs> some, some, people, some people have probably said I still do. But um, when I when I did my undergraduate, when I did my degree, and I did it here at the Wolverhampton School of Art, I was making abstract landscapes, rural landscapes. Read all the books. Thought I was a proper artist. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I'm doing something serious here. And Watch I, out, world! I'm on my yeah. way. Yeah, come on, <laughs> look at what I'm doing. Yeah. And uh, I was making these these works that were kind of I was using photography, but they looked kind of they had references to the kind of abstract painting. Um, but I I kind of used oddly enough I used lots of masks to. Um, to leave a lot of space and uh, I thought I was doing something really exciting and radical and uh, yeah it was it was pretty crap in hindsight <laughs> you know and um, I ended up going to do an MA and I thought to myself right well I've got this practice you know that's about the English landscape, the English rural landscape, and there's lots of tradition around that. So I'm I, I'm I'm in pretty good, you know, health here with what I'm going to do. And <laughs> I, I did my I did my MA at Staffordshire University, and yeah. they did this they did this one brilliant thing. So they got us all to present the work that we would say, you know, this is indicative of what I do. So of course I I'm standing there with no ab abstract landscapes, rural landscapes. And uh, presented them, and you know there was like, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know. And uh, and then as soon as everybody had presented, they just went, right, get rid of that now, start again. Wow. And 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 that was a really interesting thing to do because I was kind of ready for that. I think there were lots of people who weren't like on on, on the course, or lots of people going, hang on. I'm, this is what I do. This this is, is, yeah, I've invested everything into yeah. this, yeah. You're telling me to get rid of it kind of thing. So it was interesting. And I'd love to say at that point, I found an interesting direction, but actually I carried on making pretty crap work. Um, but I thought it was more interesting. I didn't make anything on my MA that I'd stand back and go, yeah, that was all right, that was, wasn't it? I just kind of floundered around yeah. trying different things um but i got to the end of my ma and uh i went for a cup of tea with the course leader a guy called ian brown not the singer from the stone roses <laughs> ian kind of said to me so what what are your plans next and because and i'd been floundering around i 
probably was in a worse place than my undergraduate. Well, that, that leaves you more open yeah. and, and absorbent yeah. to ideas, doesn't it? Yeah. So I was kind of like, I don't really know. And he was like, okay. And uh, we, we just chatting and he started talking about The Office, the sitcom. And uh, what he didn't know is that I, from about the age of six, became obsessed with sitcoms. Oh, and wow. I never I never told anybody. Brilliant. It's just something I, I, I was drawn to them. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't even understand most of the humour. I just got into a cycle of watching as many sitcoms as I could. And could I just ask, at that very young age, what were the standout ones? So Reginald Perrin was a real big one for me. Um, oddly enough, and not connected to the work I'm making now, Porridge, Brilliant. because because Lenny Godber had a Brummie accent and supported, yeah 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 of course and he supported Aston Villa and, and and I was sitting there thinking somebody on screen that sounds like me yeah. and supports the Villa the, this guy's the most important person in yeah. my life you know so I I kind of was drawn to to those kind of and and they're all being repeated then because this would have been early eighties so it was repeats it wasn't yeah, I, yeah. I weren't new sitcoms, but I was kind of drawn to them. Um, but I just poured all this stuff out to Ian, just like, oh, well, if you like The Office, have you ever seen this? And if, oh, the guy who played that, and, and I poured all this stuff out. And at the end of it, he just went, I'm really disappointed. And I said, why is that? And he said, because I should have asked you this and had this conversation with you at the beginning of your MA, because yeah. you should be making work about sitcoms. And I just, <laughs> and he said, you should, that's what you should be doing. So I kind of did possibly the most radical thing I've ever done in my life. I went home after that conversation and threw all of my work away. Nice. Everything I'd made, I was just like, it doesn't mean anything. It, it, it is, it's me playing at yeah. the, something that I think, you, you know, I, 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 you know, yeah. So yeah. your loss is the game to the world of abstract <laughs> landscapes, isn't it? That's it. That's it. I mean, and, and you know, and, and Ian, Ian said that to me. He said, I have always wondered why a working class kid from Great Bar in Birmingham is making work about the English rural landscape. Well, I was going to say, was there much greenery in your landscape? Because I didn't know where you grew up. Yeah, no, I had no connection with it at all. Yeah. I mean, being a big fan of sitcoms when I was a kid. Yeah. They are, I mean, looking at them now and knowing what they are, they are an honest representation of life. They make you stand like a good comedian. They make you look at life, step out of your world and look at it from a different angle. And, you know, with a sitcom, it's laugh at it. With therapy, it's again, it's coming out of it, looking at a different angle, analyzing it, and then step back into the world, hopefully taking some of that new knowledge with you. Yeah, I I totally agree. I mean, you know, if you if you think about if you think about Reggie Perrin, it's a man having a midlife crisis. Yeah, why is that funny? Yeah, you know, he's absolutely screaming in that in that sitcom. Yeah, you know, and I I just just. wonderful beautiful thing that that particular sitcom I mean there's lots like that um so I, I kind of thought right that that's that's what I'm gonna do 
Um, so I, I applied to Central St. Martin. I applied to two places. I applied to Central St. Martin's and Goldsmith's in a fit of, I'm just gonna, just gonna step off this cliff. I've, I've not done it. I've not done it before. I've thrown all my previous work away. I'm, I'm just gonna apply to places that are never gonna look at me. Yeah. And then I'm gonna work my way back from there. That's what I was kind of thinking. Goldsmiths did not want me at all. They sent me email after email saying, don't know what you're talking about with this proposal to make work about sitcoms. What, why would you do that? What on earth are you going to do with sitcom? And, and I, it was probably about two months worth of emails from them telling me this was a terrible idea and that they were not going to be interested. Um, I sent the same proposal to St. Martin's and they, uh, they emailed me back and said, yeah, can you come for an interview? And I was like, wow, I'm going to get to have a look around St. Martin's. I was like there for the day out. Yeah, I thought yeah. at least I, I get to have a look around, see what it's like inside. And um, to, to top it all as well, because this was, this was for my PhD, I, I applied for this. And uh, they'd asked me to put down somebody that I thought would be good to work with as a supervisor. And I put Susan Trangmar, and Susan Trangmar is somebody I researched on my undergraduate. So I didn't think I was going to meet her. I, 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 and I walked into the office and thought, that's Susan Trangmar in front of me. Wow. I was like, huh? You know, what? I did I didn't expect that, you know, writing a name down. And so, you know, I mean, and that's my naivety as much as anything else. And she was brilliant. And, and she immediately gravitated towards my sketchbooks. And she was like, oh, can I have a look at those? And she was like really engaged with it. But I left there thinking I had a, a good look around and I thought I'll oh, I'll nip to a couple of record shops in London while I'm here. I, I, it was a big day out for me. And I, I genuinely uh, was thinking, where shall I apply next? Kind of, this was a good experience. Where shall I look next? And uh, they phoned me and said, yeah, we want you to come here. And, I, and I, I was like, sorry, what, me? And they were like, yeah, we interviewed you earlier. We want to, and Susan wants to supervise you. And I was like, now, isn't it funny, Dean, if I can just sort of butt in there, <clears throat> you wrote off to two of possibly the best-known establishments in the country, which happened to be in London, um, you know, either, either side of the river, as it were, and they've got two totally different outlooks to your identical proposal. Yeah, and, and interestingly, and, I, and if, if this does class as a little win... Um, just before I had my interview at St. Martin's, uh, I'd had a last email from Goldsmith saying, still don't get this. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I just, I mean, I, you know, I'm not stupid. I knew it was over. This thing with Goldsmith's, it was never going to happen. It was over before it even got going. But I thought, you know what, I'm just going to write one last email. And I, and I just just kind of splurged on the keyboard and kind of like, you know, this is why I'm interested in sitcoms. This is what I think I can do with it. Which 
I'd, I'd put in the proposal, but they were kind of somehow not seeing. And um, when I got back, a couple of days after I got back, Goldsmith sent me an email saying, oh, I understand it a little yeah, bit better yeah. now. Maybe you'd want to come and have a chat with us. And I just went, no, you're all right. <laughs> God, Brilliant. Martins. And I, I just thought, you know, I, it, yeah, it, it just wasn't wasn't going to be for yeah. me. I think uh, but I spent I spent two years then with imposter syndrome. Of course. So I I used to walk into St. Martin's holding my ID card next to my face. And 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 the security guard, like after a after a few weeks, he was like, You don't have to Yeah, you're all right now. You're all right. I know you're here. And I was like this. I am meant to be here, honestly. And I just had the overwhelming sense that someone was going to tap me on the shoulder and say, You're you're not meant to be here, are yeah. you? You know. Yeah. Um and, and I spent two years doing that. And it are you the landscape guy? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, here's, the funny, here's the funny thing. Two things happened in that first period. I Because we had to present our work regularly. Um, and someone came up to me after about the fourth or fifth one I'd done. And they just said, can you please stop apologising for your accent? Wow. And I, I didn't even the, know I was doing it. I'm with you. And I was like, what? And they said, you... You make a joke about your terrible accent and how people aren't going to understand you or think you're thick every time. Can yeah. You don't have to do that. Stop apologizing, kind of thing. And, and it, I was kind of like, it was really kind of that person to kind of come to me and say, yeah. stop apologizing. But then again, Dean, is that from having a lifetime of hearing outside of Birmingham or outside of the Midlands? Oh, the fucking Brummy accent. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, it's a really kind of weird feeling, actually. I was, I, I, I did a talk in Germany in November, and they do not hear accents. Brilliant. And and I was explaining to someone about my accent, and they were, they were like, well, what's wrong with your accent? And I was going, well, you know, it's typically associated with a lack of intelligence, to be honest. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, really? Don't, yeah. didn't get that. And it, and it was quite refreshing to kind of be standing there thinking, oh, you know, that's that's quite nice. But, but yeah, that happened. And then the other thing that happened is somebody stopped me in the corridor who I'd never met. And they went, you're the sitcom guy. And I was like, am I? And they went... <laughs> Yeah, you're making work about sitcoms. I'd really like to talk to you at some point. I mean, it was a really weird thing. The first few sessions I went to, everybody seemed to be making abstract films and seemed to be I doing. You're going to say well. landscapes then? No, I'd have gone down really well. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody seemed to be making abstract films. I'm not saying that that they were they were great. They were yeah. really interesting, but. You know, every time you turn up, three out of the four were abstract films. And I was kind of sitting there thinking, am I, is there a style here that I'm not tuned into? Um, and so I kind of stuck out like a sore thumb because I'd be there going, yeah, I'm pretending to be Tony Hancock for a while. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. I'd be like, right, okay. Um, but, I, you know, I remember Susan saying to me, because I was going, you know, I'm not sure I fit here because... You know, I'm the sitcom guy. And she said, oh, you're looking at it from the wrong angle. 
She said, you shouldn't be thinking you're the sitcom guy. She said, you should be thinking you're the sitcom guy. Yeah, excellent. You, you, you're doing something that other people aren't, and that's that's great. So they were brilliant. They were really encouraging at, at St. Martin's. But but the reason, sorry, this is a long, sorry, I do ram. It's a long way round at saying how I became an accidental performance. <laughs> I, oh, my first tutorial with my supervisory team, I was shitting myself. I was thinking, uh, you know, I've got to get some work done here. I'd made some experiments with text. And I was thinking, could that work? And, you know, just wasn't just just having that kind of time. Sometimes you do where you're thinking, oh, I'll try that. Is that really working? Or I'll, I'll try that. And um, a day before my tutorial, I was sitting in the studio. Just thinking. I'm, I'm fucked, really. You know, I'm, I'm going to this place and in my first tutorial, I'm going to prove I shouldn't be there. You know, I remember I had a student once who said to me, uh, I can't I can't do sketchbook work. And you're asking me to hand sketchbook work in and I can't I can't do it. And I remember saying to him. Don't then tell you what, sit in front, sit in front of a camera and just tell me what you're thinking. And that will be your sketchbook. It's, work. it's the same thing. Yeah. And I, I just was clawing through the recesses of my panicked mind and thinking, I'll just set up a camera then and I'll just try a bit of that and see what comes of that. And kind of after about an hour or so, I'd got this short film of me doing a terrible Harry H. Corbett impression. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of thought, that's my backup. If yeah. all else fails, I can go... Well, I've done this film. And of course, I got I got to the tutorial. It it was pretty awful. The supervisors were shooting glances at each other and obviously thinking, oh my God, we've taken this guy on. Yeah. And so I just said, uh, well, it's this, and showed them this short film. And uh they just sat back and went, that's it. But it explains everything that you've been trying to explain yeah. all that time, yeah. Yeah, and they, they just went, that film, right there, that's it. And, and oddly, um, and, and the reason I've probably got the residency now, I managed to get a meeting at Icon Gallery. I, I, there's, a, there's a theme developing here, Gary. Yeah. I turned up for this meeting at Icon thinking, what am I going to show them? I've only got this little two-minute film of me doing a bad Ari H. Corbett impression. So I got digital versions of all the work I'd thrown away. So I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought, well, I'll show them that to show that I've made some work. So I showed them all this crap abstract landscape work. And they were so disinterested. And they were like, okay, have you got anything else? And so I went, well, I've got this film. And I went from, yeah, this is pretty embarrassing situation to, okay, we're going to show that. Let's go and look at the calendar. We want to get that in the programme. And I was sitting there thinking that was me in the studio just trying something. Well, again, Dean, if I can sort of interject, it's we're talking, you know, about... Um, your working residence in, in a uh, prison that is based on therapy. Yeah. 
And therapy is about stripping away the lies and telling the truth, which is exactly what you're saying in your visual work. The stuff that you was trying to be something with the the, um, abstract um, landscape, because it wasn't true, it was a veneer. But as soon as you sit in front of the camera and start being you, then that, that fucking shines through, you know? Yeah, it gave me so much encouragement um, and I started to kind of think to myself, you, you might just be able to do this. You might be able to pr- build a practice based on this. So I spent six years at St. Martin's, you know, making that work. And um, it, it was such an important time for me. I got, I got to know myself a bit better and, yeah. and make work, like you say, that kind of felt, I felt connected to. Well, that, the landscape work is as important in your journey, if you want to yeah. use that word, as everything that come after it, because it was just the stepping stone that you chose to step away from. Yeah, yeah. Your, your question was, what do I do? So, yeah, that. Um, I kind of <laughs> make performance films about, um, I guess, men failing and yeah. the cycle of that and what it's like to kind of be inside that and yeah and is 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 that because that's how you felt that you were is that where the interest come from yeah i kind of started to think about well growing up on the back foot and yeah and why was it that i was so uh, not I, I don't know if obsessed is the right word but enticed by these figures on screen why did I, I want want to watch them over and over again? Yeah, I was the same as a kid. Uh, and I kind of thought they're really significant people and I need to kind of examine that really. And I guess one of the one of the most I guess illuminating pieces of work for me, just just in terms of that question you asked, was the work I made about the likely lads. And and what's really interesting is it's so embedded in class identity. Yeah. And that's why I was drawn to it. And you've got two figures who uh, one's gone away uh, to do his, his uh, national service and the other one stayed. And uh, the one that stayed is kind of climbing the ladder and, and trying to attain middle class acceptability. Yeah. The one who comes back from the army has been frozen in time and he's still where he was when he left. I, and what, what was interesting about deciding to work with that sitcom, because it's one I was, you know, watching all the time when I was a kid. And I kind of thought, well, I'll get my best mate, who's a plumber now, to play the one character and I'll play the other. And I did this initial kind of work with the two of us. And he was kind of sitting there going, what? what is this all about? You know, because, you know, his his attitude towards what I do, you know. Of course, of course. He ain't ain't gone down that line. Uh, um, But he, he, you know, I I made this initial piece of work and I just sat back and I thought, this isn't right. Whichever way you look at it, you're kind of using him. And that's that's not on. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. And so I kind of thought, right, I'm going to ditch this. Um, and then it suddenly dawned on me because I was kind of having to... I was having to come to terms with the fact that I might be the aspirant one. <laughs> one and, and that wasn't that didn't sit comfortable with me. And I, so I had that going on. But then I realized if I played both characters, I could sort out a few of those yeah. issues and yeah. ideas. And so I ended up playing both characters. And it, it really, it really did strip away a lot for me. And I kind of understood myself a little bit better after making that work. And uh, so, yeah, it was kind of interesting process. I, I made a piece of work after that about, um, I was I was commissioned, just to say there's a theme developing here, Gary. So I ended up being asked to go for a cup of tea at the Icon, and I thought it was for a cup of tea. Yeah. When I arrived, there's a load of people there, and uh, they said, right, so do you want to do your pitch for this commission? Brilliant. And I was in a Brilliant. email here. <laughs> I didn't know that was happening. And, um, Press game. Yeah, so all I'd got is my sketchbooks with me, which I kind of carry everywhere. And uh, I kind of looked in my sketchbook and kind of, you know, found a note about, I remember watching Tommy Cooper die live on television. Oh, money to die. And I thought, and I just made a note maybe do something with that one day. And the night before I'd watched uh, Steamboat Bill Jr., the Buster Keaton film, and there's a scene where he puts loads of hats on in a hat shop. And I, I kind of thought to myself, it was fresh in my, my mind, and I thought, well, maybe I could do something with that. So, of course, I sat there going, Tommy Cooper, hats. And they were like, okay, that sounds interesting. So I... I got, I got it. I went away. And uh, I went away and made this film and I, I was really proud of it. Um, but it took me, it was a really short deadline. It took me about two weeks and I, and I was really proud of it. And I, I sat back and I thought that was too easy. You shouldn't have been able to do this yeah. in the two weeks that you had. And so I thought to myself, it's time to put a little bump in the road again. Then you need to you need to shake things up so that it's it shouldn't shouldn't be comfortable making yeah. work. It should always be it should always be difficult. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, so that was a a good point for me because I was I, I was I, I really like 
I felt like I'd made a decent piece of work, but I kind of thought the process was too comfortable. So I remember thinking to myself, if somebody walked through the door now and said, we want to make, we want you to make a piece of work next week. You know, we want you to look at this comedian or we want you to look at, I'd probably be able to do it. And I, I just thought, yeah, draw a line then yeah. so that you don't keep doing it, you know, try and rupture things a little bit. Um, and then I, I got a residency at um, the Birmingham Midland Institute. Yeah. And that was really interesting because that was a year. They had never had an artist in residence before. And I was looked at as what, I mean, the boards there, because it's a very old school kind of members club kind of place. Yeah. And they were just looking at me like, what's this Herbert doing here? What, why have we got this guy hanging around? And um, they'd got an archive. So what I decided to do, I was really interested in um, silent comedy. And I thought I've done a lot of stuff with kind of, I guess, emotional performance or kind of mining uh, emotional performance, and I thought, so I'll do something physical. That'll be my. And there was podcast. again, sorry to bat in. When I'm sure we're of similar age. When we were kids, we were still seeing, like you say, Buster Keaton, Harold Lloyd, yeah. um, Laura and Ardy were silent. Yeah. You know, when when yeah, we yeah. Were, not when we were kids, but we would see that regular yeah. on telly as well. Yeah. You know, Charlie Chaplin being the obvious. Yeah, and uh, I I kind of thought. Um, I'm going to really kind of go with this and do something physical. So um, I started looking at kind of physical pain in comedy and I created a character which I'd kind of claimed I'd found in the archive that had performed there, but nobody had ever kind of picked up on him. Yeah. And I I wrote him a backstory, you know, he hated Charlie Chaplin and he hated Buster Keaton because they don't really hurt themselves and he hurts himself for real to get wow. the laugh. And, you know, so I, I kind of built, I, I kind of worked in a slightly different way. So I did like interviews with him. I found archive photographs of him and I did, I, I kind of built him up in that way. I did a one-off live performance. So the stage at um, the BMI, uh, the stage exit has got a concrete pillar just to the side of it. So I just built up this really simple idea that he would hate being on stage, immediately look at the audience as if, you know, I don't want to be here <laughs> and run for the exit. Yeah. We keep missing it and keep it in the concrete. Brilliant. And so he ran at the concrete 30 or 40 times. And of course, the first couple of times, the audience kind of chuckle in and think, oh, that was funny. He's a silent comedian who's run into a concrete pillar. But after you've done it about 30 times, it's hurting, uh, I tell you. And you get into little games. I, there was a young girl in the audience right in front of me. I mean, you know, 16, 17, not, not, not young, young. But um, she put a hand over her mouth after about the fourth collision. And I kind of, in my head, I was like, okay, this is me and you now. If you think that was bad, the next one. Yeah. And I just kept ramping it up, ramping it up. And uh, 
it was really interesting because you know the audience are then kind of have to examine their own complicity within it so yeah. you know some people left because uh you know they thought he's going to do this for as long as we're here you know and uh, yeah, we're saving him by leaving yeah yeah um and then what i was able to do was kind of turn that performance into an archive performance and say look we've discovered this footage of him doing this live thing and it, it was a different approach because it wasn't someone who it was kind of established in the, the national psyche for the reasons you've just said he was a contemporary of chaplain keaton harold yeah. lloyd so you kind of knew which area he was in but he wasn't someone that we knew and 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 so it was quite interesting to work like that really and that was the last big piece of work i did before getting the grendon gig really now there was a really good project with uh Hancock, uh, you know, the film The Rebel. Well, there was uh, a project about 10 years ago, 10 maybe more, and uh, a sci uh, an archaeology department and a, a, a group of fine artists got together and they wrote the character into the history of Western art. Oh, brilliant. And then got the art students to reproduce all the works from the film. I've done it myself. And kind of go, there you go. This guy was really important, and it, it, yeah, it's, it's a really nice idea. Yeah. So, how did your residency in Grendon come about? Obviously, um, through, through Icon Gallery in Birmingham, which yeah. has been putting artists in residence in Grendon for quite some time. Yeah. So, Edmund Clark was the previous artist in residence. I took a group of students to his show. And we were walking around and because I'd shown at Icon, I knew some of the, some of the people who worked there and um, James, who you've met, yeah. um, happened to be doing the tour for the students. And, and he said to me, you know, what, what do you think of the show? And we were having a chat. And um, if I'm honest, in the back of my head, I thought. I could do something interesting with this because this is right on my street. Yeah, yeah. You know, flawed men. This is, I could really do something. It was made for you sort of thing, yeah. But I would never say that out loud. I didn't say that to James at the time. And um, and James said to me, you know, oh, um, we are recruiting the next artist in residence. Maybe you should have a look at it. I mean, I thought about it, but I, I didn't do it. And then I think I went to an opening of a show there. I think it was the Francis Elise show. And um, Jonathan, the director, spoke to me and he said, uh, you know, we're recruiting for the Grendon thing. And I said, yeah, but I said, come on, you're going you're gonna to go for someone with a big name, aren't you? It's not my kind of thing. And he, he, he was really encouraging. He was so um, supportive and just said, look, we're after the right person, not the right name. And he said, you know, you should consider it. And I, and I, with that encouragement, I kind of, it was one of those moments where I thought you should, what's yeah. the worst that can happen. And Grindon, I should say for geographical reasons, is just above Aylesbury, just yeah, away from Bistow, Oxford. Yeah, Bistow away, yeah, yeah. So I was in... I applied for it. I was invited to um, the men have a show every year. The residents have a show every year. And I was invited to that show. And I guess it was like a 
a testing ground really it was like how do you feel in the environment and um I've ne I'd never been in a prison, so I had, you know, preconceived ideas. I thought I thought the men would be led in, not not in handcuffs, but I thought they'd be in some kind of uniform or, you know, all based on porridge. Yeah, yeah, all based yeah. on porridge. Which is a which is a pretty good bloody representation even today. Yeah. But I, I was just in I I was in the room looking at the artwork. I bumped into a guy like physically bumped into him and I said, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. And I said, I'm just going to get a cup of tea. Do you want to get one before me? And he said, no, you're all right. He said, I ain't going anywhere in a hurry. And I suddenly thought, oh, you're a resident. And then I looked round and I thought, okay, so we're all together and we're all, you know, just dressed as we're dressed yeah. and there's no kind of, and, and so that was kind of an interesting introduction to it. I felt really comfortable with the men. And I felt really comfortable in Grendon. I didn't feel particularly comfortable with the process of what I thought was going on. I saw a couple of artists who were really keen and, and fair play to them. You know, that's, uh, you know, if that's how you do it, that's how you do it, isn't it? You know, but they were very attentive to key people. And if, you know, if someone from the gallery was talking to one of the men about their work, they'd make like a beeline to kind of yeah. be there. And, and, and I just kind of stood back and thought, uh, it's not really my world, this is it. I, yeah. I'm not really gonna, gonna get on well with this. But, you know, uh, people from the Icon, they said, how did you feel? And I said, oh yeah, I had a really good chat with so-and-so about his work. And, and so I got shortlisted. And it was a really interesting uh, interview process because the men interviewed me first. And, that, and they don't tell you this. So they don't say, okay, there's going to be a panel of residents and you're going to meet them first. They just go, okay, first interviews in here. It was great. I just chatted to them about sitcoms for about half an hour. Excellent. And then I came out and thought, I shot myself in the foot there. I didn't talk about work. I didn't talk about what I'd do with them if I was here. You know, and um, one of the guys had to escort me to the governor's office for the second part of the interview. And there was a, a mix up in times. So I ended up standing with this guy for about half an hour. And uh, I just said, you know, what do you do? And he was kind of talking about his painting. And so we, we you know, we had a good chat. And at the end of the chat, he said, uh, I'm going to put a good word in for you. He said, <laughs> I, thought, I, could, I, could, I could see you do, doing yeah. well here. You know, he said, you, you're the right kind of person for it. So he went in and kind of did his report. And then I, I went in and did my, my interview. Um, it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? Well, <laughs> you, you say that, but um, I didn't get it. Oh, okay. So I, I kind of... Um, it was, a, it was quite a drawn-out process, and I, I, I'd get calls from Icon saying, look, we're really keen on you. You know, we're just... The panel are divided, and, and, and I, I, I didn't get it. But the person who did get it, and I don't know, genuinely, I don't know who it was who got it, all I heard was that they didn't feel comfortable, and yeah. that's fair enough. Yeah. And that's, you know... It's, it's a heavy environment to walk into, yeah. mate, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it is. Um, so I was then 
asked by Icon, they said, look, would you take it if we offered it again, kind of thing, you know, if, if you had the chance. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So it, it snowballed really quickly. I went from being pretty gutted, if I'm honest, because I'd kind of put myself out there for it, got quite, got closer than I thought I would get. And then like, you know, so like, like anybody would be. But I went from that within a week to being the artist in residence at HMP Grendon. And it was like, right, okay. And I, I, I genuinely, I've been just just really welcomed by everybody there. And I, 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 the, when, I, when I do a talk about this, the first thing people ask guaranteed is, do you feel safe? Don't you feel vulnerable? Don't you feel like, you know, you're about to be clobbered over the back of the head at any moment? No, you just don't. You meet people at Grendon who go, I did this. Yeah. You know, and I've got to, I've got to work out ways in which I can not do things like that again. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I found it, I just found it really comfortable quite quickly, to be honest. And hopefully, now lockdown's gone, we're doing some exciting things at, at, at the prison. You know, I, I'm, I'm sure you, you'll know this. There's, there's, of course you will. There's, there's restrictions on materials. Yeah, yeah. They can't have oil paint. No. They can't have clay. You know, so you're already kind of trimming down what their opportunities and options are. When, sorry to interject again, I'm sorry to keep doing this. When I went for my university um, interview, yeah. I was a serving prisoner at the time. Right. And I turned up and everyone's pulling out their portfolios and I'm looking around and because I'd been restricted, I had collage I had loads of drawings and I wasn't a very good drawer I had loads of paintings and I wasn't a very good painter I, I fell into conceptual art all of my conceptual work was just in written form saying this is what I'd like to do this is the idea you know you write down the idea the process and the end result which I haven't even made yet and I'm looking around and there's people like you say with oil paints and sculptures and this and I was never allowed any of that yeah you know, and it's, it really did put me on the back foot. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, it makes you more adaptive to, to what's in front of you. Yeah. I, I kind of had two really big ideas and um, touch wood, they'll come off. I, I, I said to um, the guys at Icon, I said, look, there's a kind of look to prison art. For, for loads and loads of understandable reasons. And I said, but wouldn't it be nice if we didn't talk about this is work that's been made in prison, if we just talked about this is a really interesting piece of work, isn't it? And I said, you know, we've got to, to do that. We've, we've got to broaden what's on offer. But also, we've got to expose these guys to contemporary art. Yeah. Because... They're not. I said, I can't, I can't bring them to the gallery. So we need to bring the gallery to them. Brilliant. So we've got a, a building at the moment uh, at Grendon and we've turned half of it into a gallery and half of it into a workshop. James, James was mentioning this yeah. a while ago when we I first spoke. It, it's, um, it's really exciting. We're still, the men are so frustrated because we're still got the restrictions on so we can't get them over to the workshop 
So as soon as the restrictions have dropped entirely and we can take working groups to and from their wings to the to the could you, you couldn't arrange an invite for me up there once it's open, could you? I'd sure, absolutely sure. love that. Yeah. Uh, we we should get you to show some of your work there. That would be yeah. fantastic. Um, but the idea is that we're bringing in people that they would see if they were on the outside. Brilliant. You know. That's what changed That's what changed me, was yeah. because in our prison library, we had the old masters, um, and I, I used this... Yeah. When these artists started writing to me and I, I could see not what I was up against, but what is out there, what's contemporary, what's happening now, made me feel a little bit more relevant, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a simple premise, really, isn't it? But if we can get it done, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's just, it will be a really nice thing to bring art in. Yeah. And also for them to show their work as well and for people to see it. And other than visually... Um, with with your own work, did you document the journey becoming an artist in residence at Grendon? Um, when I got to Grendon, I said I'd really like to do a blog, and the governor said I've got no issue, and she said, but the men might, and she said trust's a big thing here, and she said you're essentially reporting to the outside world on things you experience with them, and they don't get a say in it, and they don't get to see it, and she said so. It, you might want to think about it. So I just went to the wings and I said, look, I want to do this blog. And I said, but I don't want you to feel like you're being talked about, you know, yeah, behind your yeah. back kind of thing. And I said, so how about this? I'll write the blog, print it off. We'll post it on every wing. Everyone can read it. If there's anything that you go, not happy about that, I'd please don't mention that. I'll edit it out before yeah. it goes out. And that's been great. And and the blog, you know, I sent it in during lockdowns. I mean, it was pretty boring. It was me sitting in the house, <laughs> wishing I was in Brenda, you know. But, that, but eh? It became a way of connecting, you know. And and, and and making them feel they're not forgotten as well. Yeah, yeah. During, during um, them moments. But yeah, so the blog's been been useful. Sorry, just going back to uh, my second big idea. So the other thing we did was, um, so I, I, I got a print press in there and we did some dry point etching. Excellent. The idea alongside the gallery is, yeah, of course you're going to carry on painting, you're going you're gonna to do collage, you're going to keep working the way that you have, but you can come to the workshop and you can do some printmaking we're looking at um, kind of cameraless photography as well at the moment. Excellent. So we're just trying to broaden what's accessible, really. This is a book that's coming out. Um, so this is some of the stuff they did in the workshop with us. And what's, what's this book you've got here? So this is uh, Notes from Grendon. And, and that's it, the name of your blog? Yeah. It's kind of like a facsimile of the sketchbooks that yeah. I make. But it's got um, an essay about the project, um, and then it's got excerpts from my blog, and then ex, you know sketchbook pages, and then yeah. also what's really nice is it was really important. It's got the men's uh, working from the printmaking workshop that we did, but then we've also got some of the letters that I wrote. Nice. Well, the men wrote to me and I wrote to them. So it's got some of the lockdown letters in as well. 
to have something like this that's that's strong, honest, open. It's it's a bloody breath of fresh air. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. The whole thing with the project is I didn't want to be, I mentioned it earlier, I didn't want to be a tourist. I didn't yeah. want to be, oh, this guy's going to come in, make some work about us. He'll kind of occasionally give us some materials to make some paintings and then he'll go off and have a show. And it is a, it's a collaborative thing. It has to be. It only makes sense to me for to have that voice. And that, that's why I was keen, that uh, conversation I mentioned earlier with the guy on D-Wing who writes for Inside Times. We're doing a, a second notes from Grendon and I, and I said to him, rather than someone from the gallery interview me about this, let's have our conversation as that part of the book because I think yeah. that'll be yeah. much more interesting, really. It does feel like, from what you're saying, it feels like, it's not Dean Kellen's book about the prisoners. It's about, Grend like you're saying, it's about Grendon. It's about us yeah. in Grendon. You know, you're part of them and they're part of you. Yeah. James and I were laughing because when we got the book through, James said straight away, he went, oh, shit, have we forgotten <laughs> to put your name on the front? And I just thought, Grendon's on the front and that's the important thing in yeah. this. You know. By you not having your name on there, you're, you're not saying this is what I've done with these people. You're saying this is us. You know, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. I really appreciate that. I mean, the work I'm, I'm making there is, um, I'm hoping that the men will be involved with it. You know, um, I'm talking to them a lot about it. All the work, I, all the ideas I come up with, are in relationship to conversations I'm having yeah. with them. So the reason I'm working with Elvis is because it came from um, one of the first sessions I did at Grendon and a guy had done this massive portrait of Elvis and he put some time into it. So I just said to him, I'd not spoken to him before, so I was just trying to make connections. And I just said, oh, are you big Elvis fan? And he, he was like, no. Brilliant. And I said, oh, okay. I said, is it like for a family member? And he went, nah. And I said, oh, well, you, you put a lot into that. I said, you know, I just thought you'd be a fan. Why choose Elvis? And he, he said, well, he's the man, isn't he? He's the man. Yeah. And I kind of thought, okay, write that down. So I then started to talk to the men about Elvis impersonators and imposterism and... And it really grew from that. And so that, that's kind of how I came to work with Elvis. And there's guys that have, who weren't there at, at the beginning when I was making the work that have subsequently come to Grendon. And straight away, they've gone, yeah, I get, what, I get this. I get Brilliant. what you're saying here and I get what you're working with. And then I'm also doing some work and this is where I want the men to kind of get involved. So I kind of talked to him about, you know, if, if Elvis is our ideal, then what male figure would you kind of look at and say they rupture that ideal, but they, they, still, they still have significance? And Boy George was the one that yeah. came up with. Yeah. And so I'm developing some work where the, hopefully the men will make their own Boy George masks and we'll do a piece of work around that. So the idea I've worked on with the men is that we form a choir 
my original plan was to have a boy George impersonator lead in the choir. And so I think that the failure of, of masculinity is inherent yeah. in, in the fact that they can't be the I thing. Mean, so I, I kind of quite like that idea. So yeah, still kind of developing the work. Is, is that book out? It is. We're doing the we're doing a book launch on Tuesday, 22nd yeah. at the Wolverhampton School of Art. We've got um great painter Henry Ward, who's um, coming to do like an in conversation. Brilliant. He's really kind of interested in socially engaged practice. So, and then, yeah, we're going to try and sell a few, you Brilliant. know, try and fund the next one. How can people, sorry, if they can't make it to the university, how can they obtain it online? So if they go to the Icon website and go to the Icon shop, they can order it from there. Alternatively, you can just email me through my website okay. and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll happily put one in the post. And yeah. how much is it for, for people? Tenner. Brilliant. Not, not too pricey. I've got a question for you. If there was you and five artists, past and present, yeah. what would your ideal group show be? So I'm going to own up. And I'm going to say that I listened to your other podcasts. And so I, I've been trying to prepare for this. One. <laughs> it's such a hard I've, one, isn't it? I've got, I've got 13 names. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just, I'll tell you what I did this morning. I saw a couple of my colleagues and I said, I'm doing this thing with Gary. <laughs> and I said, I've got this list of 13. Can I read them out? And you tell me which ones you think. Excellent. So, so I can give you the edited list. Go on, give um, me whatever uh, list you want. So Cindy Sherman would be one. And, and the thing about Cindy Sherman is, and I don't know whether this was just in teaching, but about five or six years ago, I would say, I'm going to talk to the students about Cindy Sherman. And people get really sniffy and go, oh, Cindy Sherman, of course, everyone yeah. talks about Cindy Sherman. And I kind of got a bit kind of like conscious and self-conscious and thought, oh, shouldn't I be, is it a bit old hat? Is it, you know, should I? And then I just thought to myself, you know, the reason that people are behaving like that is because she's so good. When I discovered that work for the first time, the Untitled Film Stills, I just thought that is the best thing I've ever seen. I yeah. just can't. Yeah, so I'd have to say Cindy Sherman, Claude Cahoon, I think I I'd have know. to put in there. So Claude Cahoon has, has only recently come into my sphere of consciousness because she made a load of work with masks. And that's part of the research I've been doing with the men at Grendon. And I kind of found some really kind of key works and thought, yeah, she this one's quite important. And I kind of talked to the men about, about it. So I think I'd have to include include that she came up with a really great great quote actually if i can find it uh in the sketchbook will it be in this one no i won't be able to find it i'll, I'll have to paraphrase so she talks about um removing masks basically and she kind of says you know this mask followed by another mask i'll never be able to remove all these faces and i kind of read that to the men and i was kind of going what a great quote yeah. you know um Steve McQueen yeah. I mean his work is just yeah I, I saw the show at um Tate before lockdown and uh the film of the miners 
it was just punishing. And I remember sitting there about halfway through thinking, I don't know if I can put up with any more of this in a good way. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And kind of came out of there thinking, yeah, that's how to put a film together, isn't it? That's how to force your audience to kind of experience something. Bastian Ada. So Susan Trangmar put me on to Bastian Ada. So he's from like the 1970s Dutch artist. He was really interested in um, like testing the human body, really, and, and like ideas around the sublime. So there's just short films of him falling off the roof of his house. Excellent. And falling into a lake, like hanging on a branch, and you just watch him swinging on this branch, and you can see trying to hold on. Yeah, he's gonna go. He's gonna go, and then he falls. So really short films. And I just fell in love with them. But he died doing his performance piece. He wanted to travel across, I think it was the Atlantic Ocean, in the smallest vessel. So he got this tiny wooden boat. And he was that was the work that he was going to go across this ocean. And, of course, never made it. And that was his last piece of work. Wow. So I, I kind of fell in love with Bastian Ada. And, and there's some, he did this piece called... Um, I'm too sad to tell you where he just sits in front of the crap camera crying. There's this kind of really interesting thing because Mary Kelly kind of just said, you know, if a woman made that piece of work, they'd be accused of being hysterical. Yeah. Bastian Ada makes it and it's like this really insightful human, human yeah. work. And I totally get that. I do get that argument. Yeah, yeah of course. And then, Marcel Brudeyers, so he made a piece of work where he tried to write with ink in a rainstorm. Oh, I do. Yeah, I know that. Sitting there trying to write, and there's just water. Yeah. And he just carries on trying to write, trying to write. And uh, I really like repetition. And uh, in in some of the work I've made, it's that kind of notion of um, Sisyphus, you know, well, that's what a lot of sitcoms yeah. are as well, yeah. aren't they? They start exactly. out, you know they're going to fail. Half hour later, they've failed. Yeah. You've just gone and, through that journey with them. And you'll tune in for another half hour of failure. Yeah. Next episode, yeah. And I, I kind of, I re, I, that was like a really nice, simple piece of work that I just saw it and I thought, oh, yeah, that's fantastic, that is. Yeah. So I guess those would be my five, although I've got uh, another ten. But, just yeah. read through what the other... So I've got Paul, I've got Pauline Boaty, Jorge Mulder, Gillian Waring, Grayson Perry, Boyden Evans, Kevin Atherton, Amalia Allman, and Do Ching Hase. Brilliant. I didn't know several of those, but when I listen back to this, I'll take a note of them and um, go and look them out. Brill. Dean, I'll let you get away. I know you've got to get away very lively. <laughs> Thank All you right. so much for your time. Pleasure. Take care, Gary. I'll speak to you soon, mate. Bye-bye. All right, bye. Well, hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. If you're unable to support us on Patreon, leaving a review on whichever platform you listen to this podcast really does help us get noticed and anyone else looking for an art podcast, or even giving us a positive shout-out on your social media. Anything is appreciated. But either way, thanks for listening, and until next week... Sad off.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.